inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. In the Garden with Peter Burke today is brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville, by V's Flowers and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield, Broughton's Big Country Hardware, your authorized Cub Cadet dealer in Bridport, by Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, locally grown just for you, Main Street, Colchester, your locally owned Montpelier Agway, East Montpelier Road. By Thomas Farm and Garden on the Barry Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores, four to serve you in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston and St. Albans. By PNR Lumber, family-owned lumber mill with all the lumber, mulch, and compost you need, Route 15 in Wolcott. And by the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. Peter Burke is on hand to take your phone calls, questions about gardening. Our number, 802-244-1777. And here's the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. Hello. Beautiful day out there. And uh, this is uh, just a a perfect day for the garden, really. (laughs) And uh, we've had a beautiful week if anybody's transplanted anything. It's been, you know, partly cloudy and a little bit rainy. And so it's been perfect for those transplants out there. And someone already is... uh... Oh, Hopefully not taking issue with all that positive assessment, because I agree 100%. <laughs> Yesterday I was all day in the garden the entire day. Oh, that's great. Entire day. At any rate, uh, you're first on the air with Peter. Hi, my name's Francis, and I have a question about rhododendrons. Okay. Uh, my rhododendrons will not grow. Uh, they're in sandy soil. I put uh, stuff around them, and they just will not grow. Huh. Now, now, when did you plant them? Are they... Uh, there's one we planted oh, five, six years ago, oh. and the other one we planted just a couple of years ago, and they, oh. they just seem to be dying on us. So uh, when you say they seem to be dying, it's worse than just uh, you're not getting any flowers. Right. Yeah, they're, and, they're, they're actually, the leaves are starting to keep falling off. They're, they're just on a little more than sticks now. Wow. Wow, that's yeah. uh, is this near uh, the foundation of your house or no? Uh, it's probably five six feet away at least. The only reason I ask about being near the house is that sometimes uh, when you know a house is being built, uh, some of the excess uh, tar and stuff that they use, you know, to seal up the house is mm-hmm. is just sort of dumped in the in the foundation hole. And it's oh yep, it's possible. No, this is an old stone foundation. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's really not much uh, chance of something like that. Um, so where do you do you get the plants? Uh, one we got them at Walmart, and uh-huh. the other one we got them at a uh, uh, greenhouse somewhere down in New Hampshire. Yeah. Well, that that's there's a, a lot of different things, so I'll just give you a, you know a couple of things to try. Um, it could just be that they need need nutrition, and that's okay. that's a possibility. Now, rhododendron is not really known for being a heavy feeder, but if it's not getting what it needs, uh, what what did you do? You have a mulch around it? Have you put compost on it? Anything like that? Uh, yeah, we put some uh, you know just compost on it that we yeah. got from uh, Walmart. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so what you could try is is a foliar feed, which is, um, so do you have a sprayer of any kind? Even a hand sprayer would work. And uh, you could uh, try something like a fish emulsion or, um, you know, organic. Uh, you'd want something that was water-soluble so that it would, it would um, you know, affect the plant right away. 
And a fish emulsion is definitely a good one, or even a seaweed and fish. Uh, uh, and this would be a liquid, and so it's usually mm-hmm. about four tablespoons per gallon. If you're using a, you know, a four quart, um, I mean a one quart uh, spray bottle, then you just you know divide that. And okay. so it's to be about a tablespoon in that quart sprayer if that's what you're using. Try giving it a, a little food, like a, a foliar food like that. The other thing that, uh, the next thing to look for is uh, look at underneath the leaves at the bottom, you know, turn them over and see if you can find any uh, insect eggs or, or something like that that might be feeding on that plant. And, okay. and then the other thing is to, with your finger, just sort of dig down around at the base of the plant and see if you can see anything that's, you know, that would be like a, a maggot or a worm or, you know, not like an earthworm, but, you know, something like a white grub to see if that's okay. feeding on it. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, feed it um, if you can. You know, put a, a good size mulch around it to see if that's, you know, if that's uh, uh, that should help hold the moisture in the soil. Uh, do you ever water that plant? Uh, no, we haven't. Yeah, we you, used to when we first got it. But. Yeah, you, you might try, uh, you know, giving it a, a shot of water once a week. You know, something like, uh, you know, a few gallons of of water and and that would be a good time to for you to put a little fish emulsion in there and in that uh in that few gallons and then uh, pour it right on the base of it uh it sounds like it's just not getting the uh, the nutrition it needs and it's hard to say why you know or you know there could be something in the soil that's uh, toxic to it um mm-hmm. i assume you don't have anything like a black walnut tree or something that could be toxic uh, no, nope. why? That's the only thing we've got next yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, right. They usually grow pretty well together. Um, the last thing that I can think of is it just might be a variety that's not well suited to Vermont. Um, if it's coming from down country, you know, where did you say you were from, Francis? Uh, Northfield. Northfield. Okay. So um, you're in central Vermont, like like uh, yeah. like I am, and. Um, the, that's the other thing is that the variety may not just be one that's uh, acclimated to the cold climate. Um, it's you know if you can find something at a local nursery, um, you know if you have another spot you want to try a rhododendron, uh, get something from a local nursery that uh, that sells those things that that uh, um, and you may have better luck with something like that, something that's okay. better acclimated to this climate. And that's just a guess. I don't know. Um, but I do know that there are certain places, uh, you know, as we travel, my wife and I travel around the country, you see places where rhododendron are grown wild, you know. They're all right. through the that's woods. You know? It was easy to be easy <laughs> yeah, to grow. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, they don't grow wild in Vermont, so you, you would need a hardy variety. So that that's something you just want to check out is that if you can do a little research in the catalog or, or even talk to local nursery and find out what they're planting um you know you 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 may find that you you have uh you've got a variety that just isn't well acclimated to the vermont climate and um so that uh so what we do is uh you're going to look on the leaves for uh for any bugs Mm-hmm. If you see bugs uh, on that, then you want to spray with something like a neem oil or something. Uh, you want to, you know, finger around the roots and see if you can see any grubs or, you know, right. any anything that would be like a maggot or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to feed it um, a foliar feed and then, uh, you know, once a week give it a a gallon with a um, with a, uh, a gallon of water at least. Uh, with some sort of uh, again, fish emulsion would work fine, or okay. uh, you know something that is a um, you know a liquid type of um, water soluble nutrient. Okay. And I think uh, with that, that probably that's as much as you can do. If it's a variety that's not well suited to Vermont, then then it may perk up. But uh, you want to make sure you have a good, good mulch on that over the winter because what happens is that the the, the cold goes into the ground and it, it would affect the roots. So if you want to, if you know, if it's if it is a variety that's not well suited to Vermont, then what you really have to do is protect that root system with a good heavy mulch. 
Okay. I think, Francis, that's about all I can think of right now. If I think of something else, I'll mention it on a show later. Um, okay. Um, and let me know how it goes. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, um, the uh, of course, this is the time that you can plant everything. You know, there's no more frost. I would say it's pretty much a guarantee. And uh, um, although with the weather today, I, I was saying to Jack, the only thing I haven't seen was snow. And he was like, shh, shh don't seem to say the word, you know. But anyway, I think, I think we're past that. And this is, this is when not only the air temperature warmed up, but also the soil temperatures. You know, it's not always just the air temperatures that's a problem. It would be the daytime air temperatures and also the nighttime air temperatures and then the soil temperatures. So all those things. But now you can, you know, you can plant the, the, your uh, zucchini seeds and your cucumber seeds and your winter squash and summer squash seeds. You can plant your, your pepper sets and basil sets, eggplants, all those things that really like warm weather. Of course, the tomatoes. I didn't forget the tomatoes. Uh, and I'll be planting my tomatillas today. Um, and uh, everything is really, uh, you know, uh, needs to get in the ground. So uh, I'll be planting all those things. Um, I, uh, there's a couple things on my mind and I've noticed a bunch of, um, uh, people using, uh, garden beds and, uh, I just want to remind everybody that, that there's a formula here and what I call the garden basics and that's a permanent bed, permanent pathways. Okay. And I see a lot of people putting permanent beds out there, but they're leaving grass in between. And I would just say that you will save yourself a world of hurt if you just go ahead and put that landscape cloth down um, and, and kill the grass and cover it with something like bark. Um, and this will this will help um, in many respects. And it's it's sort of the yin and the yang. It's the it's the um, you know they're they're sort of companions. So I'm perfect uh, the the. Um, the garden bed and the permanent pathway. And um, so uh, just consider putting those pathways in that, that you'll find that's a, it's a big, big help. Um, I know when I first did mine, uh, it was literally six years before I saw any weeds whatsoever, even in the pathways. And it's, if you surround your, your garden beds with the pathway another two feet out, then it discourages a lot of the, the grass that will grow. Um, the grass will grow up, and it almost doesn't matter what you're putting at the bottom of those beds. You know, some people say, "Well, I will put landscape cloth in there," but you know, if you get enough of that, uh, enough of that grass growing underneath even the landscape cloth, it'll come up through sooner or later. So, um, you know, um, the uh, reconsider. Make sure that you understand that the permanent pathway is an important part of the uh, formula. And then uh, I was, uh, of course, I was out weeding, and and uh, it's it's a funny thing because uh, the the best description of a weed that I ever heard was a plant out of place, and this probably is the hundredth time I've mentioned that. But as I was reading weeding this uh, this week uh, after work, uh, you know, there were uh, radishes in my carrot. Pa- uh, patch and and there were tomatoes in my onion patch and there were you know these are all things that you wouldn't really necessarily call a weed you wouldn't call a tomato a weed or a daikon radish a weed or spinach or anything else a weed but when they're a plant out of place you know then it becomes a weed and so it's it's real important particularly in the beginning um <laughs> and uh, of course, I made a huge mistake last fall. I grew uh, um, uh, the uh, clover, crimson clover, in, in my beds in the upper part of my garden last year. And, of course, we had a, a terrific crop of crimson clover. And and uh, the deer came down and, and ate quite a bit of it. But uh, what I didn't realize is that it had managed to seed uh, those beds up there. So when we got out there in early April and planted uh, the beets um, shortly after the clover seeds started to sprout, and I mean, it was a green patch, you know, all over the place. So, um, 
that took quite a bit of weeding to uh, uh, to to get the clover out of there. I had to laugh at myself. Anyway, um, so besides weeding, right, and it sort of goes hand in glove here. The the weeding, uh, um, you want to get into your beds now, and the and if you're planted beets already, uh, they'll be up a couple inches now. Um, of course, your radishes should be up at least three or four inches, and your spinach and stuff. All of those things, um, it's important to get back in there and thin them out because you really just want one beet and one carrot in each spot, okay? Now, of course, with the carrot seeds, because they, they don't germinate that well, you usually put three or four in a hole. Um, beet seeds, by nature, have three or four seeds in one little uh, beet seed. And if you if you get over exuberant and you're putting two or three in there, you could have five or six or seven beets coming up out of the same hole. So what I suggest uh, for weeding is um, pick a day when you're not in a hurry. <laughs> and uh, I have my little um, uh, Swiss Army knife. You know, it's it's one of those ones. It's about two inches long. So, and it has a little scissor in it. And it has a, a little knife in it. And I just go through with that little scissor and I clip all the extra ones out. Um, and that way it doesn't disturb the roots at all. So that, to me, is the best way to go in there and thin. But it's an important step uh, in getting a nice size beet or carrot or uh, anything else, radish or whatever else you're growing. So you want to uh, make sure you, that you, uh, you get in there and weed. And, and uh, this is just about the time to go ahead and do that is to weed. Um, now, my potatoes, oh, they are looking super. They are really coming up great. And they're already up maybe five, six inches, uh, the potatoes are. And so when they get another five, six inches, you know, 10, 12 inches tall, uh, then you want to start to hill them. And I think we, I think uh, yeah. Joel said we have a call, and so we'll talk about, on the other side, hilling potatoes. Okay, your first name in town. Uh, John from Hyde Park. Hey, John. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. What's going on? I have a question about asparagus. Yep. And um, I've had asparagus crop there for, I don't know, 10 or 11 years. Yep. And it's doing pretty well. And this year was kind of a bumper crop at the beginning. Yeah. But in the last couple weeks, there's maybe 15% or so of the asparagus that are coming up. Are they are they curled? Or color and get limp. Yeah, yeah. So you have the same problem that I have, and my wife said you have to go and do the asparagus. Now we we'll, we'll have uh, good years and bad years with the asparagus beetle. If you look around, you'll probably see a little red bug somewhere. Or um, the other thing is if if some of your asparagus have grown up to the the feathery stage, you'll see a little little gooey. A grub up in the feathery part, but mostly at this point, it's probably just the red beetle, and uh, that's that's the problem that you have. And uh, what I use for it is the um, uh, Captain Jack's Dead Bug, which is basically uh, a brand name for Spinosad. Uh, Spinosad is a sort of like a it's it's a bacteria that will kill certain types of beetles and bugs. Um, it's a little bit like uh, the the thergicide, the bacillus, um, uh, the bacteria that that kills the uh, cabbage moth. Uh, but the spinosad seems to work better than than anything I've used. I've used neem and a couple other things. And uh, get ready to do this for the next three years um, because you will have to spray them on a, a fairly regular basis. And I think to start with, it's like a, once a week, and then you can taper back from there once the uh, you know once you've set them back. But you'll have to probably do that for. Um, you know, for a good three years to, to really get rid of them. Uh, the things that you can do to help prevent that is to make sure you, you cut and burn your um, the asparagus stalks after they dry off, cut them down good. The other thing is to go ahead and uh, uh, rake up the soil, you know, or even hoe it a little bit. That tends to disrupt the grubs that are in the ground. And, um, you know, a mulch is not really... 
that much of a preventative for that, but it a lot of people like to use a mulch, and it's not a bad thing. And of course, don't forget you got to feed your asparagus in the fall too. Uh, but for right now, um, and the other thing you'll notice is that when your asparagus come up, they'll the tip of it'll be slightly curled. It'll be you know almost looks like it's limp, but it's really just curled. Two of them are that way. Yeah, yeah. So you, that's definitely that's what's going on in there. Uh, you know, it's not a it's not a fatal disease or anything like that. It's just a, you know, it it will just affect it for a little while. That's all. But you'll be able to get a good crop, and and it doesn't really uh, change. Uh, you know how good the asparagus are when you roast them on the on the grill or wherever. Yeah. Well, they've. Uh, we've been getting quite a bit. I'm thinking about maybe I cut some today, but maybe I'll quit for the year and yeah. you know, take out the bad-looking ones and spray them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, the uh, you know both of our sponsors, all of our sponsors have that Captain Jack's uh, dead bug. And if if you don't see that, just tell them you want something that has spinosad in it. And that's a that's a bacteria that seems to affect a lot of beetles and bugs. It's you know relatively new on the market in the last oh, seven or eight years. It's come, it's it's it started to increase the use of that particular uh, bacteria. Um, well, I think I understand what I need to do. And <laughs> nice. Thank you. Sure. Now, what's your favorite recipe for your asparagus? Oh, I like to uh, steam it and put hollandaise sauce on Ooh, there you go. That sounds great. <laughs> we like to uh, pan fry them, you know, just sort of roll them around a little bit of oil, <laughs> a little bit of salt. And, and uh, But that's a, there's nothing you can do with asparagus that's not delicious. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do cheese sauce and put on toast. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I was just looking at some milkweed uh, coming up out of the middle of one of my beds, and they're about four inches tall. And I remember reading in, uh, oh, what was his name, the herbalist, uh, that you could use milkweed stalks for and cook them like asparagus. So I, I've been eyeballing those and thinking, okay, today, this weekend will be the, the weekend to, to cut the milkweed and see if it tastes like asparagus. <laughs> All right, I'll let you do the experiment. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know next week. <laughs> All right, John, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, to pick up where I was leaving off, uh, um, so my potatoes are up. They're looking beautiful and dark green and just wonderful. And, and I've got more potatoes this year than I've had in quite a few years. Um, and uh, they are up about six inches, but fairly soon, when they about double in size between 10 and 12 inches, I'm going to uh, hill them, okay? And the, the significance or importance of healing your potatoes, if, if you haven't done it before, and if you have and you have a technique that you really like, definitely call in and let me know what it is. But the idea with healing them is, is to... Um, is to add soil around the base of the plant. You know, probably a good five, six inches, four, five, six inches. Now, if you have a, f a fairly good-sized row, you can just sort of dig up the dirt out of the row and hoe it over the bottom of the plant. And if you, uh, if you have... Um, uh, if you don't, with the beds, you're just going to have to, to uh, add soil up around there. So we have a call... Oh, Sandal from Ice Small Peel, you're welcome. Hi, Peter and Joel. Uh, hey. This, good, this good. is a real treat. Um, you caught me on my gardening lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What have you been doing? Um, well, transplanting now. So yep. mm -hmm. it's been a little warm and a little dry. I was yep. hoping we'd get a little more ra rain out of those storm mm -hmm. clouds, but yeah. didn't get that much. No. Um, Peter, I called because you had just mentioned perhaps harvesting milkweed, yep. and that's something that we do oh, um, really? usually in the spring. My husband does not like asparagus at oh. all. <laughs> I think you either really like it or you really don't like it. <laughs> the, one in, the one in a million, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, and, but the rest of us on our farm are enjoying it a great deal. Well, but as we my do, father would say, that just means more for us. Uh, yes. <laughs> And we do maintain milkweed patches oh, for really? the yeah. various pollinators and the butterflies that really love it. Yes. However, um, 
my husband is very happy to have uh, milkweed greens, oh. and we get them when they're, oh, perhaps no more than 12 to 15 inches tall. Mm-hmm. When you go out to harvest, you can just yank the plant up. You don't have to cut it okay. because it does get quite messy, as we know, with the milk of the milkweed. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and usually the leaves are somewhat clasping or still kind of a bit closed. Okay, yeah, that's the way mine are right now. Yes. And so you pull it, bring it in, trim it off, and figure, you know, you need a pot that you can boil it somewhat flat, so fairly, you know, a Mm -hmm. wide enough pot. Mm -hmm. Just put it in a couple of inches of water at the most. Uh, Well, of course, wash it off first. And then put it in a couple of inches of boiling water. Boil it for about five minutes, then totally get rid of that water. Um, That then has broken down the nature of the milky substance. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. And and then I usually pour some more boiling water right over Mm -hmm. it for another you know, two or three minutes, mm-hmm. it will usually stay very bright green, mm-hmm. um, drain that water and season it the way you would asparagus. Yeah. Um, but there's never anything wrong with butter, salt and pepper <laughs> <laughs> on most vegetables in my, my category, in my uh, dictionary. In my opinion, too. Yes. So, uh, so I hope folks will uh, get brave and try it sometime. It's yeah. lovely. It's not quite as sort of strong tasting as um, mm-hmm. asparagus, mm-hmm. but it has a nice texture to it. Oh, good. Well, my wife uh, likes to use um, a, is something that she found in, in Japan called uh, umeboshi vinegar, and you can get it at the co-op. It's sort of a, 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 bright, uh, a bright pink color, and it's a salty vinegar, and it's made from plums. It's made from the umeboshi plum. And uh, it's uh, it's really good if you like uh, green beans steamed with a little butter, and you put that umeboshi over it. It's sort of like eating popcorn. It's really <laughs> delicious. Huh? So, uh, well, I'm going to try uh, my, the uh, uh, the greens uh, probably today or tomorrow. Yeah, great. I, I got some coming. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, so, I think it was Yule Gibbons is the author. That's the, thank you, thank you. You know, uh, stalking the wild asparagus. You in the got series it. That he wrote but. exactly. Thank you that you, that you took the words out of my mouth. That's who, exactly who I was thinking about. And so, have you uh, have you planted your winter squash yet? Did you plant them? Uh, they're waiting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're ready. Yeah, they're and, ready to plant. Um, my challenge is to get them under cover of of uh, row row cover. Uh-huh, yeah. Because the bugs are just terrible. Yeah. Which kind of what kind of bugs are you talking about? Which... Uh both the cucumber beetles oh. and the squash bugs. Oh, we okay. have we have both and yeah. they just really attack. Yeah. The plants um so so that requires a lot of um I don't have um you know commercial <clears throat> kind of row covered uh mm-hmm. structure. Yep. I we use stakes and Yeah get them out there and then cover them up as quickly as possible after getting them in the ground. Yeah, what I use in my boxes is a is just the, you know, a 3/4 inch PVC pipe and I just stick it in one side and the other and then Yes. And that uh that gives plenty of height and so they don't sort of droop down on the on the um, plants and stuff. Right. Um so, have you ever tried to growing your cucumbers up on a trellis? I'm going to try that this summer. I yeah. have an old trellis that my mother-in-law had for um, clematis. Yeah, and, there you go. And we don't have that in use anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, so, good. Especially the long, thin cucumbers that we use oh, for our bread and butter pickles. Absolutely, I've wonderful. got two varieties: uh, the Japanese one, suyo long, mm-hmm. and another one that I can't pronounce off the top of my head. That's all right. We won't ask you to pronounce it. <laughs> so I will give that a shot, but I'll start them undercover again. Because yeah. Because, again, the okay. striped cucumber beetles seem to just love everything when it's small and Absolutely. Tender. Yeah. For me, it's the... Uh, uh, it, it's uh, the uh, slugs the, that oh. eat my cucumbers. Uh, they just come along and they just, just eat them right down. Okay. So uh, just a reminder to anybody trying to grow their cucumbers, if you have slugs, you want to get that sluggo at uh, Agway or Blue Seal and just uh, sprinkle it around the base of the plant, and that does do the trick. Great. Well, Sandal, nice it's, it's great. At, at this time with you. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'll Thanks for calling. the rest of the program. All right, take care. Thank then. you, Peter. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.
Well, that's... Um, uh, yeah. And we do have another caller right off oh, the bat. Oh, okay, great. First name in town, please. Hello. Yep, hello. Hi, Joel. Hey. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Forbes. Forbes. That's Forbes, yeah. Yeah. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Well, I had a question. Yep. And uh, it maybe you've covered it before, but with asparagus, how do I plant them so it all doesn't happen at once? Uh, you, you have to have different varieties because, they're, I mean, that's, uh, you know, they're, that's just the way they're going to grow. I mean, you could try things like, you know, planting some of the crowns deeper, you know. Uh, oh, different levels? Different levels, yeah. It's the oh. only, and then the other thing you could do is, of course, use a, a row cover of some sort in the early spring to warm up the soil a little bit. A combination of a, of a, you know, a black plastic to warm the soil and then a row cover to keep the warmth in after you take the black plastic off. And uh, so th- that would be the only way that I know. I know that uh, in uh, Elia Coleman's books, he actually had uh, a, a, rolling, a rolling greenhouse, and he would put the rolling greenhouse over his asparagus patch to force them to get them to come up a little bit earlier. So that's that's two things that you could do, three things with uh, if you try a, a couple different varieties. Okay. Um, that's good. So how do you grow a lot of asparagus, as I understand it? Well, quite a bit, and I yeah. just freeze it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but it all happens. It seems to happen at once, <laughs> and then you're buried with the, you know the whole process. So over yeah. a period of time, that would be a lot better. Yeah. So you, what do you uh, do? You blanch them and then freeze them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you ever tried doing uh, 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 drying them at all? Uh, no. Somebody mentioned no, that I to haven't. me recently, and they really? like their dried asparagus, and I, I, I'm not sure. I tried dried, dried green beans once, and they were just, I could never get over the, they were just so leathery. I just never really enjoyed them, so. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much in, in the... Um you know the inner uh, juice part of them. How much factor would be lost? Or yeah, well, drying generally does not. Uh, you know, is actually pretty good nutrition-wise. You know, it does retain quite a bit, but it's it's how do you use it afterwards, other than a soup? <laughs> You're talking dehydrating. Yeah, dehydrating. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Well, yep. Good. Thank you. All right, buddy. We'll Did you to, ever um, uh, research uh, honeybees? Uh, no, honey the bumblebees. As a matter of fact, I, I was looking at those this morning. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that you probably what you were doing is the best thing is to leave some areas unmowed uh, because that's where they live. They live in the ground. And uh, right. it's really, I, I can't say that I've ever seen a bumblebee nest. But yeah. the bumblebees were, I mean, I have got, what, 10, 12 blueberry bushes out front and I walked out the door and it was so loud out there I thought it was all hummingbirds but it was probably a couple dozen uh, bumblebees just just swarming around the blueberries the monarchs have just come in yeah Yeah. (laughs) just in time just in time for the lilacs right (laughs) oh they are I've got white and uh, two purples and they're all over it but they'll also come into my blueberries yeah because a blueberry has such a, a long tubular blossom. Yep, yep. There aren't many things that can pollinate them. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the hummingbirds seem to love them, and uh, that and the uh, the comfrey, the comfrey plants, they just absolutely love. Yeah. So, oh, okay. all right, well, thank buddy. Thank you. And I think Joel said we had another call. Right? Yeah, we're going to head right off to um, to Barry right now. Okay. Hello. Hello. How are you, Joel and and Pete? Yeah, what's up, buddy? This is Pete from Barry. Uh, Pete and repeat, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I uh, when you were talking about uh, cucumber beetles, yeah. Uh, uh, with our squash, uh, we tried your uh, we're, or yeah, we tried because we planted our squash already, but yeah, uh, putting the clear plastic that you suggested. Yep, yep. You know, a couple weeks ago, right? So. I'll let you know later in the year how that works. Yeah, I'd be curious, yep, to kind of solarize uh, that. uh, The other reason I called is you mentioned uh, Yule Gibbons uh, 
hunting the wild asparagus. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> well, well, I do have it, but but besides that, you uh, you might want to. <clears throat> when that was popular, yes, uh, I go back a few years. Uh-huh. I was taking a field botany course at UVM. Okay, and you want to be careful when you use some uh, some books such as that because he uses common names. Oh uh, yeah. And a common name here versus a common name in a different part um, of the country yeah. might be two different plants. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, skunk, in what the professor, uh, I think his name was Van Meter, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's passed now, but but um, um, he, uh, he used uh, skunk cabbage as... An example. Okay, yeah. I guess the skunk cabbage here is not not edible. Uh-huh. I, I'm not sure if it's poisonous, but it's not edible. <laughs> not that I would be tempted to eat something that smelled like a skunk, but yeah, okay, I'm with you. But down south, <laughs> yeah. a, a plant by the same name, uh-huh. the, the, the common name, is edible. Oh, for heaven's sakes. So, so that's the only reason I called because the, your previous caller uh, mentioned. Yeah, uh, when I mentioned I mentioned the uh, the milkweed eating milkweed to uh, one of my neighbors who was a naturalist, and she said, "Well, be careful you get the right one, you know, because yeah, there's one that's yeah. that's a milkweed that's not not so good for you and all the rest." But you know, I've I've only seen one milkweed around. I've yeah, never really yeah. seen a particular a lot of different types of milkweed, but well, it's just that as I as I say, I'm I'm sure that he in there he uses the the scientific name as well, but mm-hmm. not very many people take the time to to look <laughs> that sort of thing up. Yeah, and and that could be very important if you're talking about mushrooms, right? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I you know my my uh, my uh, 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 law with mushrooms. If yeah. you don't know mushrooms, don't pick them. Yeah, right, right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the outcome is is too too final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for taking my call. We go, sure thing, Pete. Yeah, take care now. Thanks yeah, for the call. Well. Appreciate it. And uh, okay, we're Joel, we're heading everywhere. <laughs> uh, did did I did I see you taking another call? Or oh yes, indeed. That's oh, okay. uh, what's going on here. Okay, as Jack and I are, you know, Jack between Jack and I, I think we've been here seventy years. <laughs> and we're still trying to figure out the equipment. But here we go. <laughs> Our combined seventy years of efforts is putting trying to put Andy and Plainfield on the air. Any success, Andy? Are you there? I am there. Congratulations. Hey. You can retire now. Experience, got experience it figured out. Awesome. I have a, a tomato question and a couple of asparagus questions. Okay. Um, some of my tomatoes are getting hit by what I think are flea, be- flea beetles. Oh, sure. So. Yeah. This time of year, they, that's uh, so you rang the dinner bell. Okay. Um, is it a matter of covering them, or should I spray them with something um, that will resist, or do I just let them try and grow through it? Or you, what's your take? you can do nothing, and it probably won't make any difference. Um, you can spray them. Uh, that spinosad is is uh, good for for that hard shelled beetle like the flea beetles. Mm-hmm. If you have a, but I would only recommend it if you have a really bad case of them. You know, if you think that's really affecting the plants. For the most part, uh, they look like somebody sprinkled them with pepper, and that's the holes, and uh, it they'll grow out of it, and it it won't make any difference at all. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I've gripped my teeth and said, you little critters, you know, and it was like, it never amounts to very much, though. Um, they're, they're just, they're uh, short-lived, and um, it's only if you have a really bad, uh, a really bad infestation of them that it really matters. And if it is just, uh, or if it even just bothers you, just go ahead and uh, get some of that spray. Spray the top and the bottom of the leaves and make sure you get the stems as well. And uh, that'll, that'll take care of them. For for the okay. most part, yeah. Is it a is it a bad infestation or is it? Well, I mean, I've got I've got several beds. I've got some 
some in pots. I've got some in the greenhouse. The mm-hmm. pots in greenhouse look beautiful. There's mm-hmm. one particular bed where they're being hit real hard. Yeah, well, I'd, so spray, we, I'd spray them then. And okay. if it, it's uh, pretty simple to do if you have a hand sprayer or um, you know a pump sprayer. And, uh, yeah, I can get it in a pump bottle. Yeah, yeah. And that, that'll that do the trick. I, I think, actually, neem oil will also uh, take care of the flea beetles, but I'd have to double-check that. Okay. Okay. Um, let's, a couple Asp- of asparagus questions here. Sure. In terms of feeding them, um, I know the roots are down. Somebody recommended me once to put a broomstick or a dowel a foot down and then pour whatever you're feeding them with into the hole. And I don't know if you've ever done that or what your strategy is. Well, for, for that's a, it's a common practice for anything that's deep-rooted. Uh, you'll see that actually more with fruit trees than you will with, uh, but, with asparagus. But why not? Absolutely give it a try. See if you if you get good results from it, and uh, there's there's certainly no harm. The idea, the reason that somebody would figure that's a good idea was is because uh, they are so deep rooted, and uh, you want to make sure that the nutrients get all the way down into where the roots are. Um, you know, it's give it a try. See if you like it. If you like the results, and let me know. But it's not something I do. I don't. I don't really bother with that. And and would it be ProGrow or what would you use in that circumstance or put in some fish emulsion well, or what? I, I probably would go with a, a fish emulsion, but there's no reason you couldn't use a ProGrow. I'm not really sure. If you use a ProGrow, you want to make sure you you fill it with water so it dissolves in there. Otherwise, right. without the water or the moisture, it's not going to do anything. You could probably dig it up in two years and it'd still be granular. Interesting. Yeah, because I don't think there's enough moisture to really break it down without a, a good dose of water, and you might want to do that a few weeks in a row to make sure that it's really getting into the soil. Um, the last question here is, when does one stop cutting asparagus so you can get the first? <laughs> Maybe you've already discovered this today, discussed this today, but, you know. No, um, no, no. Uh, we did talk a little bit about it. He said he was going to stop picking, and... and um, the uh you know you you can't you can't really do any great harm by picking them right through june but generally we stop on the second week of june that okay. you know that's that's usually our but by that time some of them have snuck up and they're started to to leaf out and grow and you know so uh that's usually what what gets us to quit and I leave some of them anyway and they grow and you yeah. know, so I've got some that are already starting to get into the front stage yeah yeah you don't you don't really have to I mean they're very very hardy and they will keep putting them spears up for as long as you cut them but um, in order to to feed the roots they need to have a, a good couple months uh, of so so when you do decide that's a good time to give them a dose of a fertilizer and or you know, uh, compost or even manure, if you have it, they uh, they don't they don't mind that extra uh, nitrogen. And during the season, you know, when you're watering, particularly in August, uh, when it gets real hot and dry, you know, r- remember to go ahead and to give them a good watering because they they can use that. Great. And, uh, thank you for your help, Peter. Okay, Andy. Good talk to you. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, let us uh, head to. New Haven, and Art's on the line for you. Hey, Art. How are you? Hi there. Good afternoon. It's great to hear you on the radio every week. Uh, one of my rituals is to hang out near the tool shed where the radio is. <laughs> well, thank here. you. And I, I pick up all sorts of information, including a prior show about bumblebee habitat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a guest tree farmer, a fruit farmer, that had many fruit trees in his property, and he tried um, laying out flakes of hay. Yeah. Off the woods a little bit and covering it with soil to make mice habitat because bumblebees sniff out mice urine and take over their nests after the mice leave. <laughs> <laughs> and and as I'm thinking about this and waiting to come on the air, I turn around and there's a bumblebee boring a hole in the wood siding of my tool shed <laughs> and it, it flew in the hole. Oh so no, really? There can be bumblebee habitat in the walls of your tool shed if you're not careful. That is one I haven't seen yet. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I've seen the wasps. They're terrible. They'll get into every nook and cranny of your house, yeah. for sure. Now, this was a, a fat-bottom yellow bumblebee. 
You know, I had forgotten that about the 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 mouse. Uh, how they like to to go after the mouse's uh, leavings. Right, yes. Right. <laughs> anyway, I share that. And again, thank you for being on the radio every week. Yeah, sure, Art. More than glad to. I will have to relay that to my wife, who who just hates the idea of the mouse anywhere near the house. So, <laughs> be away from that. <laughs> you know, and just yeah. remember that's good for the bumblebees. <laughs> <laughs> I have pet mice, you know, Joel here. Oh, yeah? I, lo- I love the little guys. Yeah, have you gotten any bumblebees in the house? <laughs> no, but I'm, I keep reading, you know, these stories from South American places about killer wasps. You know, uh, I'm waiting for the three-pound ones, you know. The, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, you've watched too much Walt Disney. Yeah, That's I'm, what it is. When, when, when the three-pound ones show up, I'm going to move to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Let's see. What were some of the other things that I wanted to talk about? Was um... well, we got a caller on the line. Oh, okay, all right. Well, so let's are, do that. One of the things you wanted to talk about probably is from <laughs> your first name in town, uh, Johnny from Wheatfield. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Good. Uh, a couple of remarks as far as the potatoes and yep. rounding them over. Yep. I had really good luck with um, putting down straw and then covering it with with soil. Oh. And that way you can pick them with your hands, oh. and it keeps them out a lot lighter, and they're cleaner, and it worked really, really well. So you, you put the straw down uh, when they were, what, 6 inches or 12 inches? Yeah, like right that? around just a, a couple more days from the size of your plants, probably. Yeah. Put the straw down, and then put soil over the straw. Over the it straw. also helps keep the moisture in this somewhat, but it keeps it airy mostly. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I, I usually figure the, the dirt and then the straw after you were all done hilling. Uh, that's interesting. I'll have yeah, to give that I, a... I layered mine. It worked well. Okay, great. What a what a great idea. I like that. And uh, then the other thing was the milkweed. I've also harvested them in their budding stage when they look like broccoli. No, oh, yeah. And they taste delicious. Yeah, mm. and I would just I'd blanch them and then steam them. Oof. Wow. That sounds delish. <laughs> yeah, it worked great, and a little lemon, a little butter, and you're good to go. So uh, so this is when it actually has flowered then? No, just before flowering. Just before flowering, okay. Before they, you know, when they're forming the buds, like broccoli, if it yeah, lets go oh, okay. long, now yep. the bud, the flowers come out. Yeah, yeah. At that stage. Yeah, well, I, I would probably have to fight with my wife over that, because she oh, says, yeah, you have I to need to, the right kind, I need to leave that for the butterflies, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you don't harvest the whole plant, just a couple here and there. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's a good bargaining chip. I'll, I'll remember that part of it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you very much well, for your show. I love it. Thanks, Johnny. And uh, so straw first and then the dirt. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll try that on a few of my beds. A layer of straw. And, you know, you can get it pretty cheap, you know, in the straw areas of wherever you buy straw. Yeah, yeah. There's always remnants to the bottom. And well, yeah. As so a matter of fact, I picked up a couple of bales uh, at, at Agway, and the, and the straw just laying on the ground was about two feet deep. And he said, you know, oh, man, we don't know what to do with all this stuff. And, and like, that's where you get it. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, like and that. then any extra straw, if I do buy a bale, I'll just put it between the rows because yeah. it yeah. doesn't have seeds in it, so yeah. it won't. Me too. That's 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 why I get straw. It's worth it's worth it, and uh, because the hay is just sort of you might as well just sprinkle dandelion seeds over it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. All right, you take care of yourself. Yeah. We'll thanks. hear you next. Well, I'll finish the show and see yep. you next week. Okay. Great, John. Thanks so much. Yep. Bye now. Bye. Well, Joel. Um, no more calls? Yeah, no. We're oh, okay. At, we're at the uh, last couple of minutes. The last couple of minutes. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll never get through all these notes, but it doesn't matter. Oh, well, one last thing is uh, kindergarten in the garden. Is Don't forget to get your kids into the garden. I, I told you about this last week. I have my four-year-old come out and say, Gramps, you know, I want to know everything that's in here. And kids are just so great in the garden. And, you know, give them a bed. Give them a whole bed, a four-by-four bed, and say, okay, and sit down and plant it out with them, and, and they can let them plant it. It's a, it's a great experience for kids. I, 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 you know, you don't think that 
you assume that every kid knows and understands all these things, but they don't. And uh, I was so surprised with a, a young uh, adult um, uh, girl who uh, was the daughter of a friend of mine. And uh, she was so surprised when I told her that pickles were actually cucumbers. She oh. said, oh, I never knew that. I didn't know that they were cucumbers. <laughs> I was like, okay, yep, I, you know, it's a good thing to have kids in the garden and they can learn a few things. But and also it's just, you know, it's there's been a lot of interest in gardening just simply because of, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing. And, um you know, you do. You get to appreciate uh, um, that that that's, uh, there are times and have been times when the grocery store is, you know, is the is the cold seller, the root seller, the you know, the canned goods, the frozen goods that you put up from the garden, and that you know that's a it's a good thing to know for kids. So don't forget that in the garden is a kindergarten for kids. And with that, I guess we'll say see you next week, Joel. Okay, yeah, we will see you in the garden. All right, buddy. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. In the Garden, this week brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street, Morrisville. V's Flowers and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield. Broughton's Big Country Hardware, your authorized Cub Cadet dealer in Bridport. By Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, locally grown, Main Street in Colchester. Your locally owned Montpelier Agway, East Montpelier Road. By Thomas Farm and Garden on the Barry Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston, and St. Albans. By PR Lumber, family owned lumber mill with all the lumber, mulch, and compost you need. Route 15 in Wolcott, and by the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. We'll see you next week in the garden with Peter Burke. Someone warm them from below Till the rain comes down